Hey, Stranger Rangers, this is Bree. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Rangers, we are part two of the Wilma Plaster case. Um, I'll just give a brief little rundown before we dive into this next little tidbit. So we have this adorable woman, most lovely woman by the name of Wilma Plaster, who um, is unfortunately murdered at the age of 66. And her body is discovered on the side of the road by a passerby, just like on the outskirts in Springfield, Missouri. Um, This body has been decapitated and disassembled for uh, lack of better words. And so we're on the hunt right now to figure out who would have done this to yeah. this um, widowed preacher's wife. We have eliminated a new boyfriend that Wilma had met out lion dancing. We still also don't believe it to be the wife of the boyfriend who did right. not know about the affair. We have kind of eliminated a best friend, Janice Cook, but now um, all signs are kind of pointing to a new best friend, a woman by the name of Shirley Jo Phillips. She um, She's looking pretty good for it right now. Yeah. She's a little on the edge of her seat uh, seeing the news and that the body had been discovered and whatnot, so... We're just going to take it off from there. And I'm going to start out this bit by telling you guys a little bit more about Shirley Joe Phillips past. So if you didn't listen to part one, make sure you go back and listen to that. So you get all the, the nitty gritty, uh, gruesome details. But what I had mentioned before was that Shirley Joe seems to have this con artist past right. of hers. So police decide to zero in on Shirley and especially all of the checks of Wilma's that they'd found. Um, if you didn't listen, yeah. If you didn't listen to part one, they found, um, some of Wilma's checks in a bag under one of Shirley's friends porch. She found a whole bunch of evidence and there was one specific check made out to Shirley for $4,000, which is not a huge sum of money. However, $4,000 is still yeah a good chunk of money. I mean, four biggies. Did it say for what? Um, not I mean- specifically. No. Um, it does come out later what Shirley claims the money to have uh, been written to her for. But police ask Wilma's family if they thought it was possible that Wilma would have written a check to this woman for that amount of money. And they're like, no, absolutely not. Like my mom doesn't just give out, you know, thousands of dollars to people. And I don't know what Wilma ever did professionally, but I mean, she was the wife of a pastor, you know, you're probably living comfortably, but you know, conservatively and you have your little, yeah bank account with some money on it. Yeah, totally. 
So the family also tells police that the signature on this check is 100% not their mom's. Yeah. And detectives reach out to Wilma's bank to find out that her bank account had been totally drained. <gasps> no. There is nothing left in her ac- accounts. And her- Wilma's family is just like totally shell-shocked right now. Yeah. Not only do they have the news of their mother being brutally murdered, but now she has no money to her name. Police were able to identify Shirley's fingerprints on the checks. And to me, that little part is, you know, circumstantial. Obviously, if a check is written to me, it's going to have my fingerprints on it. So that little part of evidence doesn't really hold a whole lot of weight for me. But nonetheless, they were able to discover those. But police do get another break when they get a call about Wilma's missing Chevy Beretta. It was oh, parked. Right. Mm-hmm, yeah. Wilma's car was missing from her house and they finally have someone contact them about this car that they couldn't find. And so it was parked at a Ramada Inn in Springfield and they called it in because the car had been there for several days, you know, a, un, not an unmarked car, but you know, there's a car in our parking lot that we don't have records. Sure. Of. I don't, I don't know if moving. they did that. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if they did that in the eighties. Like you'll go to a hotel now and they make you write down the make model and, you know, license plate number of your car. But Nonetheless, police do confirm that it's Wilma's and there seems to be no evidence of a struggle in or around the car. And also this is in the eighties. So it's highly unlikely that there was any like video surveillance with that. So like I said, to talk a little bit more about Shirley Jo Phillips past, Shirley was known for her lively spirit and her enthusiasm for life. She was a very beautiful woman. She sounded like she was really infectious and just one of those like contagious personalities to be around. She had a huge sparkling smile. She was always somebody that dressed really well, had perfect makeup, and her beauty was also known to grab the attention of men. In the 1960s, Shirley divorced from her husband and she became a single mother to her son who went by the name of Buddy, which I love that nickname for a little boy. She was a loving mother who found ways to provide for her son doing whatever she could to get by. And she literally did whatever she could. And unfortunately, some of these ways were from stealing from friends family members, and basically just (sighs) anybody that she could. So much to the point that Shirley's family stopped letting her come into their houses because they knew that she would leave with something when she left. Oh, no. Like total klepto. Total klepto. Those are the exact words that that are used to describe her. And Shirley's mom, Leah Kyle, never agreed with her daughter's lifestyle choices, and she just wanted a better life for her. Um, I think that they had a really conflicting relationship, and I'm sure they didn't see eye to eye on some of this stuff. And, you know, I'm sure anytime she came to her mom's house, her mom was probably like, why aren't you doing this with your life? You have a son. You Mm -hmm. should be doing this, blah, blah, blah. But in 1984, Shirley seemed to take down um, 
little bit of a turn for the worst. Her once bubbly, infectious personality became really cold and depressed, almost like she just like kind of didn't have feelings anymore. Like she became Mm. really jaded, like cold and callous and became very disconnected from her family. And Shirley still found a way to use her beauty to manipulate people and to con men for money. She would even steal large amounts of their stuff and like go and sell it in other states, like probably pawn shops. I think Mm -hmm. one, one source even said like she would like literally go and have like a garage sale (laughs) with the stuff that she would steal from all of these men. Damn. And this was just kind of her revolving door. She Mm. would sweet talk somebody. She would gain their trust, kind of get them wrapped around her finger. And once she had taken everything from them that she could, she would just move on to the next person. The next mark. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So we've found Wilma's car at the Ramada Inn and police start to get their hands on more and more evidence that come from Shirley's friend, Nora. So Nora hands over everything that she had found under her porch to the police and they, and she even, even allows them to come in and search her home in case they find anything else. And they end up finding um, the 38 caliber revolver that was with the stuff that was underneath the porch. And ballistics would confirm that this was the gun used to shoot Wilma. The gun is not registered to Shirley, but it's registered to her son, Buddy. And so they decide to call Buddy in for an interview. And Buddy kind of, in his own way, kind of followed, unfortunately, in his mother's footsteps. Um, He earned himself a bit of a reputation for being a liar and a thief and was said to be very candid during his interview, just like kind of relaxed and unfazed Mm, by being called in. However, they didn't believe him to be a murderer. Even his own family thought like, yeah, buddy is a thief and he's been in and out of jail, but we just don't think that that's in his character to a murder somebody or B to murder somebody in such a gruesome way. And while police were interviewing buddy, he also provided alibis for his whereabouts during the murder. And those were confirmed and they checked out and they quickly eliminated buddy having any involvement with Wilma's murder. Okay. Which I don't want to say I was shocked, but it wasn't just another one of those interviews where they were like, all right, this is the info what we have. This is your alibi. It checks out. We're moving on. We, we have bigger fish to fry. So they've been going through all of these interviews, right? They have Wilma's car. They found the gun. They have the knife, everything, but they still haven't talked to Shirley. And just as police are trying to figure out their next move, something shocking happens. Shirley just straight up walks into the police station and says, so I hear you've been looking for me. Oh, that's ballsy. So ballsy, so bold. And she just sits down and starts talking to the police and they straight up ask her about the checks that they found. And if she wrote them and she repeatedly denied it, like, no, I did not write those checks. Wilma wrote those checks to me, what have you. 
And, but they did note that there was something odd about the way that she spoke when they were talking to her about Wilma. She would never say Wilma's name. She would always just say she, like she handed me the check. She wrote that she did that sort of thing. And according to Shirley, the $4,000 check was payment for some furniture that Wilma had bought off of her. And police try to confirm that story with Wilma's kids. And again, Wilma's kids are like, that is so highly unlikely that our mom would have paid $4,000. Seriously. For some furniture from this lady. Like our mom doesn't need any furniture you know like like you said like she was probably a very modest woman who didn't need much or new things like that or whatever and so police are sitting there and they're like come on Shirley like tell us the truth we've got a lot yeah we've got a lot on you that's pointing to you and she just totally remained unmoved in her innocence and just kept denying everything. So then they move on and they ask her about the murder. And again, she denies any involvement, but she tells police that she does think that she knows who could be involved. And this is Shirley's story. She says that her and Wilma had gone to the bar at the Ramada Inn and that Wilma had left with a strange man that evening. Now, what I find to be odd about this claim is that So they would have been down there in Wilma's car, right? That's the car that they found at the Ramada Inn. Wilma lived in Branson and Branson to Springfield is about 50 miles. That's a drive. That is a drive. So with Wilma's car being found there, Shirley, are you claiming that the two of you drove separately? How the hell, like what, how did she say she got home? I'm not a hundred percent sure if Shirley also lived in Branson. So that's another little part of it, but it's like, how do you go with your friend 50 miles away from where she lives? She left with a strange man. Yeah. How the hell did you get home? You know, that's so, far too. That's not walking back home. I was tired and I still didn't figure out how to no. do it. No, not at all. And so that was like my biggest question mark that I never got answered. Yeah. Was how she claimed to have gotten out of that situation. Police aren't buying this at all. They don't believe Shirley for a second. They uh, move on from that and they ask Shirley for a handwriting sample, which she does give them no problem, but, a uh, like a professional calligrapher concluded that the $4,000 check was not signed by Wilma and it matched Shirley's handwriting. And so police are convinced that they have Wilma's killer and Shirley is held at that point on charges of check forgery. So they didn't book her in at that point for murder, but they had her on check forgery. Something else. They're like, we at least have this where we can put this woman into custody. And they also follow up on Shirley's story about them being at the Ramada Inn bar. They made contact with the bartender who was on duty that night. They claimed to not have seen the two women at all, nor did anyone else in the hotel. And I think that we're all not surprised by that information. 
So they go and start investigating Shirley a little bit further while they have her in custody and they get a search warrant for her car. She had actually drove that car to the station for the interview and it was just sitting in their parking lot. I know. This woman. Yep. They look in, they find blood in the front seat of the car and in the trunk. Luminol revealed blood in the back seat where the floor mat where the floor mats would have been, but those floor mats were under uh, Nora's front porch. They follow this up with a warrant to search her home. They find the same 38 caliber ammo that was used in Wilma's murder. And all of these pieces are just like the last couple nails in the coffin for Shirley. And they, if they weren't certain before they are, they are now. The case is as good as closed at this point. And on October 12th, Shirley is arrested and charged for Wilma's murder. Now, this is only six days from discovering the body and making an arrest. And that's just like, I mean, that is so fast. So fast. And I mean, I don't know. Don't get me wrong. Oh, it's, it's super great. And I guess that's kind of one of the, I mean, there's a lot of benefits to having a small social circle, but in this case, really a huge benefit of Wilma not having a large social circle, it really narrowed down the people that they needed to look at. And I mean, it goes without saying Wilma's family is beyond relieved at this point in time that, you know, their mother's murder is in custody. Now, Shirley's story just gets a uh, thicker and thicker. So Wilma doesn't appear to be the only victim like this of Shirley Phillips. Three weeks after her arrest, Springfield police are contacted by the Oklahoma Bureau of Investigation, and they are calling in regards to a case where they found nine pounds of human flesh that was recovered in a roadside park. Within these body parts that were found, there were four fingers of a left hand, part of an upper lip, a nose, an ear, and some other body parts. Now, at this time in the late 80s, DNA was not widely used. We're just breaking through, you know, with with that kind of technology. Yeah. So the um the police from Oklahoma brought in what they had. They fingerprinted and photoed them. And at that point, they were able to identify the body of 76-year-old Leela Kyle, who is Shirley's mom. What? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. These body parts were found on Mother's Day of that year. Oh, no. Evidently, Leela had gone missing about seven months earlier. That would have made it around March in 1989. Yeah. And Shirley had told the family and told police when she was questioned that Leela ran off with some man. 
Now that story sounds familiar because that's the same story that she told police about Wilma. Right. She went to the Ramada too. Yep. Yep, exactly. She went line dancing, ran off with some guy. Yeah. Now the family of Shirley's did not believe that their 76 year old mother, grandmother would be running off with somebody. You are like, running to the TV to watch Wheel of Fortune at 76 years old. You are not looking to just run off with some man. And the police tried to tie these two cases together, but ultimately they didn't have enough evidence to convict Shirley of her mother's death. Everything Uh, was just like really um, coincidental, circumstantial circumstantial. or whatever. The fuck? I know. I'm like, uh, I can see how in the eyes of the law, though, is like they can't prosecute her for that. or Right. But shit to your mom. To your mom. And they found an upper lip. Oh, like what? I, I've never heard of just like that part being found. Ever. No. No. So, so gross. Part of her nose. Yeah, I think it was her whole nose and ear, upper lip, fingers had, yeah, just, just all sorts of bad, all sorts of bad, especially on Mother's Day. Like, you're terrible. You're the worst daughter that's ever existed. I don't know why that made me teary. Like, that is just gruesome. It's sad. So sad. I mean. Holy shit. They had a conflicting relationship, sure, but damn, like to kill your mom and to chop her up like that. To that's chop her a, up like that. That's the part. Gnarly. So oh my God. gnarly. All right. So beyond that, we move forward into Shirley's trial, which takes place in February of 1992. Okay. And this is one of the first times that Wilma's children have ever seen Shirley. And they are quoted oh. to say that they were just like so shocked because of how normal looking she was. And she was so attractive. She didn't look like this deranged lunatic that would have, you know, chopped up their mom the way that she did. And prosecutors try to paint the picture of Shirley as a ruthless con artist that would do anything she could for money, which is accurate. Yeah. And this, and this was their focus that Shirley had befriended Wilma and then killed her for money. I mean, they've got lots of claims that that fell in line. Very clear motive, especially with the bank account drained. It's not. Yeah. Not surprising at all. And furthermore, they believe that once Wilma's funds had dried up, that, um, that's when Shirley decided that she was going to kill her. She had nothing more to gain. And at that point, Wilma could identify Shirley as the one that had taken all of her money. And I'm sure she didn't want to go to jail for emptying this lady's bank account. And so they believed that Shirley had completely earned her trust. And probably the night that she was murdered, Wilma had discovered that all of her money was missing and confronted Shirley about it in the car and that the murder had taken place in the front seat of, of uh, Shirley's car. Wilma, Wilma either had her head turned or was getting out of the car, yeah. given the gunshot wound in the back of the head. 
I would lean maybe more towards that. Um, she was getting out of the car. Facing out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although we don't have an exit wound, it just seems more likely to me with the type of evidence that they found that she would have maybe been getting out right. of the car. Right. Now, why Shirley already had the gun with her, I'm not sure. Maybe she kind of had this plan premeditated and then it all kind of like erupted at this, you know, one point in time. That was her escape plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like that, that's a theory, you know, we don't have any claims from Shirley about how it all played out, but that's kind of a theory that we can right. run with. And then they believe that's when Shirley took Wilma to her house and dismembered her in the garage. And then Shirley took Wilma's body past Springfield to dump it. And then she went down to Arkansas to her friend's house to dump the floor mats, the gun, and the checks. Now the defense comes in and they took a different angle and tried to point the finger at Shirley's son, Buddy, as the one who killed Wilma. Okay. And... Uh, yeah, this is such a stretch for them to try to do this. But I mean, I think it was literally the only card that they had to even try to play in this yeah. case. Defense attorneys is like a whole different kind of human. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And Buddy is like totally shocked that his mom is like literally offering him up as the sacrificial lamb. Right. Like he probably thought that they were thick as thieves and like, you know. That's his mama. That's yeah. his mom. That's yeah. the only person you've had and you're her only kid. But this defense uh, strategy does not work. They found Shirley guilty of first degree murder. The family is again, relieved and so glad that they can finally close this chapter. And Shirley was originally issued the death penalty with her sentence, but six okay, years, I know. <laughs> But six years later, an appeal reduced her sentence. There had evidently been some evidence that gave her a chance for this appeal. And there had been some exculpatory evidence that should have been given over to the defense during her trial that they never received. So this gave her the option to try to appeal her charges. And surely, I don't know if this was by default or how it all exactly played out but Shirley was given life without the chance of parole and they took the death penalty off of the table. Okay. But at the very least, this woman has life. She will never even be given the chance. Um, And so I'm so relieved that they caught her and that everything played out the way that it did. But that is... The conclusion of oh our part gosh. two of the murder of Wilma Plaster. You wouldn't think that she had it in her. No. Well, first of all, I wouldn't think that anyone has it in there to dismember their mother like that, let alone exactly. a friend. Right. I mean, I, like the lips, the nose, that's so I bizarre. know. Like, that one is real personal. Yeah. Like to me that, um, shows like, uh, I finally got to shut her up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like dark, very dark. I mean, at least for the mom, for the friend, well, not friend for Wilma, there is a very clear financial motive. 
Oh, no doubt. Very clear, plain, not plain and simple, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's financial motive. Right. For the mom, unless she stole from her mom as well and she had something to gain from her death, Mm-hmm. That just sounds like it's a monster. She's a monster totally. regardless, but a whole nother level of monster that she dismembered her mom as well. Right. Well, and it also seems like I'm honestly shocked that Shirley didn't get brought down for more of her, you know, like stealing from all these men earlier than this because it it kind of unless she did a lot more traveling it seems like she stayed pretty well within range Local. I mean if if her mom and everything was in Oklahoma and then she was between like Missouri and Arkansas like those are all pretty close yeah like together her name would have gotten around especially you would have she's think so. with the same I think it, it um as far as the men are concerned there might be a little bit of uh shame when sure. you know they don't want to report this they don't want to admit that they were bamboozled by this woman and and or maybe had wives or lives outside of messing with her that's and maybe true. that's what she held over them that's true oh, but the mom I can't get over the mom I know I know when when that little tidbit got thrown in there I was like if I did not already hate this woman now she is just like wild so so wild absolutely wild well great case holy moly i'm staying away from missouri (laughs) dude i know i had i had some aspirations of going back because i didn't explore the ozarks when i went and visited uh my best friend when she lived there but now i'm kind of like she doesn't live there anymore. So she nope, she doesn't live there anymore. I've already been there. I've checked it off the 50 states nope. that I've visited. So I might just uh let that vacation rest and we got the Starbucks cup to prove it and we're I good sure to do. Go. Yep, that's all I care about is my been there mug, and we are totally happy. We both have been there mug collections. Um, oh and it's bad. Uh, it's good. What are you talking about? It is. I'm still a little taken aback by the whole situation because it just, you know, so crazy to see what money can make someone do. It happens. Money is just wild. It, it makes people do crazy things, crazy things, crazy things. All right. So thank you. If you're a Patreon and you're watching us. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Um, And if you haven't joined us or checked us out there yet, please do so. If you haven't left a rating, um, what are you waiting for? It's your chance. We're we're hoping that you get uh, take a second, go rate us. Um, Five stars really help. So we hope to start getting more listeners like you i sound like a pbs commercial like i i love it want more viewers like you it's <laughs> i love it it's very calming and i'm enjoying it right now perfect yeah well, keep it up um and then i it would i would be remiss if i didn't mention that if you are a hardcore hardcore mean girls lover like i am you would have <sighs> noticed October 3rd and Janice being mentioned in this episode. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know what else we can celebrate on this episode? Hmm. It's been one year since I've joined the podcast. <gasps> Has it already? Yeah, because my first case that I presented yeah. was about Skylar Niece. 
Oh, and wow. like the the quote unquote mean girls, and we recorded it on October third. Oh my God! Look at us, full circle. I know, isn't that crazy? I cannot believe Yay. it's been a year. Yeah, that's awesome. Wild. Yeah, and Halloween would be would it be four years for the podcast, or three years. I th- I want to say three because we started in twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. on October 31st mm-hmm. and then so 19 to 20 to 21 22 to 23 wow crazy whoa, whoa. mind blown <laughs> oh my gosh seriously though guys um so I guess with that with the four-year anniversary thank you for if you've been a day one or if you've gone back and listened to the episode since day one uh, thank you. I appreciate you guys sticking around, giving suggestions, and riding this fun roller coaster. We enjoy doing this. Um, if we get more Patreons, we can do this for a time. So, <laughs> yeah, please check us out there. Um, right now, we do it as a hobby, and, and you know, it's it's fun to get together. Um, and it's um, I know I kind of forget about the world around us and what we need to do for while we're recording. So that's nice. It's so nice. Such a good break. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening and we will catch you on the episode. So don't be a stranger and we will see you then. Bye. Bye.